0: For leading us tonight, we appreciate it. Thank you for praying for us while we were on vacation. We had a good time in Colorado with the whole family, so that was that was good. And I appreciate the guys filling in for me while I was gone as well. Uh, we are in First Timothy chapter three tonight. We want to look at verses fourteen through sixteen. Uh, Behavior in the church of the living God is what I've titled the message here. And let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, again we thank you for the privilege to assemble around. Uh, the Word of God, the things of God, the fellowship that we enjoy in Christ. and uh, Thank you for each one that's out tonight. Pray that you would bless our time in the Word. Now minister to our hearts. Thank you that for the fact that you're the living God, and the Word is a living Word. And uh, just uh, thank you for who you are and how you work in our lives. So we commit our time to you. Ask your blessing upon it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, you note the overhead, uh, the theme here of the book of First Timothy. Uh, we've got church order, and we're really going to uh, again see that tonight after the greetings, the command to Timothy regarding doctrine and practice in chapter 1, instructions regarding church order in chapters 2 and 3. And that's where we're wrapping up here tonight. Uh, the background here as far as uh, he is addressing uh, the situation at Ephesus, and uh, Timothy is at Ephesus on his third missionary journey, Paul... Uh, stayed at Ephesus for about three years, so he had a major investment here in, in the city of Ephesus, in the church at, at Ephesus, and uh, now he, then he was imprisoned for a while, and now it seems he's released, and on, after this, this fourth missionary journey, after his first Roman imprisonment, he's going through Asia, and evidently uh, he has now left Timothy at, at Ephesus, and he is now corresponding back uh, to him, and so that's a little bit of the background here. Uh, he's concerned about the, the health and well-being of the church at Ephesus. Uh, I mean, he really hammers it right out of the gate in chapter 1 that uh, makes sure nobody's teaching any other doctrine than that which aligns with the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we get to chapters 2 and 3, uh, church order. Uh, the men should lead in prayer, uh, how the, the role of women, the role of the men. And then we go to chapter 3, uh, leadership qualifications for the elders, the deacons, and that leads us to where we are tonight, which really, uh, we could call this the purpose statement uh, of the letter, uh, especially verse 15 there, but that also uh, related to the surrounding context there. Uh, let's see, my next slide here. Uh, note, uh, you know, these are the th- groups that are addressed in the New Testament. We've got the overseers, the elders uh, the deacons, and now the entire church is, is addressed here at the end of the chapter. So uh, that brings us, uh, again, to where we are at the end of the chapter, the purpose statement. And uh, God has a very prescribed way in which he wants the church to function. And that's what we see emphasized here at the end of the chapter. He's laid down some, some things here, um, but now he, he wants the church to function in accordance with those things that he has brought out. Let's have somebody read uh, verses 14 and 15. Who wants to read chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15? Dwayne? I write these things to you, hoping to come
1: to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written
0: so that you will know how people ought to act in God's counsel, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the foundation of the truth. Okay, thank you. So, uh, I think he's talking about chapters 1 through 3 here. Uh, these things uh, I write to you. Um Maybe he's not sure he's going to get back there. For whatever reason, he wants them to know this. Uh, It's important probably to know it sooner rather than later as far as how the church should should function. And so again, uh, he's bringing out uh, these things I write to you. What has he written? Well, the things he's emphasized in chapters 1 through 3 up to this point that we already talked about. And he says, though I hope to come to you shortly. Paul hoped to return back to Ephesus soon, but uh, he didn't know uh, how soon he would be able to get there. Very probably, Timothy already knew the essence of most of what Paul is writing, but in this difficult situation where the church had been influenced by errant teachers, as seen in chapter 1, in that context, it was important that apostolic authority be shown to be behind these instructions. We see this in the very first verse of the book, where Paul starts out by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And of course, with that word apostle came authority. Uh, the idea of an apostle is an authoritative representative of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I think he's wanting to strengthen young Timothy. Uh, we will see uh, as we go in and along in the book. Uh, Let no one despise thy youth, he says in chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, you know, sometimes it's easier for older people to kind of put down young people. Not to mention it's easy for young people to sometimes put down old people too. I suppose it goes both ways. But uh, in the context of leadership, uh, you know, you get a few little seasoning in your life. You say, you know, you're just a young and what are, what are yet. You, what are you talking about? But uh, Paul tells uh, Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. Uh, you're a God-called man. God's put you in that position. You need to be strong in addressing uh, the issues uh, that the church has here. And uh, so notice he says, I, I hope to come to you shortly. But then, verse 15, but if I am delayed, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What a great verse. What an important verse in the New Testament in relationship to the church. Uh, notice uh, this is his uh, purpose statement, if you will. This is why he is writing. So don't know how to function uh, properly as a church. And uh, <clears throat> he says, if I am delayed. He didn't know if he would be for sure. Uh, you know, even Paul didn't know the future, right? Except for what God told him as far as prophecy. But none of us know uh, what's coming. I mean, James says, uh, say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We don't know. Uh, he says, if I am delayed. He's not sure what's going to happen, even as an apostle. But he says, uh, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. This is body-life instruction. Uh, how, how you ought to uh, carry on, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. In chapter 1, Paul emphasized the importance of sound doctrine, as I mentioned. In chapter 2, he emphasized that the prayer leaders, when the whole church is assembled, should be men. Uh, He emphasized modest apparel for the women, that women are not to teach or have authority over men. A lot on uh, roles of men and women in chapter 2. Chapter 3, he emphasized that the overseers and deacons uh, meet certain qualifications. And then he says he wrote these things so the church would know how to conduct itself. All of these things, really, uh, summarized are what he is uh, wanting to emphasize here. And uh, so that you uh, know how to conduct yourself, uh, how to behave yourself, how to carry on as a body of believers uh, related to order, related to structure, related to function. Uh, These are the things that he's bringing out in relationship to the local church. And notice how he uh, describes uh, the church here, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. The idea is the household of God. Uh, We we are the the family of God is the idea. The church is a a family. It's a household in the household of of God. And, uh, you know, I like this when it talks about in the house of God because uh, we as his people are a family. We are the household of God. But we also are uh, the house of God. I mean, God is housed in us as his people, as he will go on uh, to emphasize here. And that's a very important concept. Uh, sometimes people say, well, th- this physical building is the house of God. No, it's not, you know. I mean, uh, the state almost bought this building, you know. What do you say? Well, it's the house of God. What's the state doing with it? Well, it's really not. It's a physical building that we, we the house, come to this place, <laughs> and we're thankful for it. But uh, we, as the people, are actually the house of God, not, not, the, not a physical building, The church is the people, and the church belongs to God, because he bought it with his own blood, as seen in Acts 20, uh, 28. Uh, And it is properly called God's household, because he is uniquely housed in the church during this time called the church age. So we, as the people, are are the house of God. And and in that context of the household of God, the the family of God, in which God lives in his people, uh, we ought to properly uh, carry on and conduct ourselves. A few other uh, overheads here. Uh, the body of individual believers is said to be God's temple. This is uh, you know, singular, First Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So individual believers are spoken of as a temple, but so is a local church. Uh, First Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you, plural, are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So both are true. As individual believers, uh, we are the temple of God. As the local church, we are the temple of God. Both are spoken of as the temple of God. Now, back in the Old Testament, God did dwell in a physical uh, context in relationship to the tabernacle and then the temple in a limited sense. uh, In... uh, God is always omnipresent, but in the Old Testament, God's unique presence on earth was housed in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple. Today, this most Holy of Holies presence is found in his people and uniquely manifested when the church comes together corporately. I I think that's a very important point. Um, Today, where do we find uh, God's most uh, intimate dwelling place? Well, it's in us. Uh, We are really, that word, uh, temple, really relates to the Holy of Holies. When it says we are the temple, it's the Holy of Holies. Uh, Not not the exterior part of the temple complex, but that innermost sanctuary. That describes us where we are today. Now, there's a local church and there's a universal church. I mean, there's all kinds of little local churches, but uh, there's also a universal church. And part of the church is in heaven. Some have died and gone on to be with the Lord. Some of us are still here. And so uh, there is those two realities. However, uh, there's a real emphasis on the local church in the New Testament. Uh, note that of the 114 times uh, the church is mentioned in the New Testament, it is a local church that is in view at least 90 of those uh, times. So it's, yeah, we have church 114 times, but 90 times that word is used in reference to the local church. The church functionally happens essentially on a local level. Gift use is in relation to the local church. I mean, that's the emphasis of the New Testament, not the universal church, unless you would perhaps be talking about the gift of apostleship. I mean, the apostles did have more of a universal church ministry related to the truth that they gave to the entire church. But generally, uh, gift use is in relationship to the local church. Uh, leadership is in relationship to the local church. You know, we, we do not biblically have a pope, right? I hope we can all agree on this. Yes. Uh, no, uh, leadership is local in relationship to a local church, and, and they're autonomous. You know, we, we don't have other leaders from other churches uh, who we'll call up and say, well, what should we do? No, God has given elders to this church. Uh, so we, uh, leadership is in relationship to the local church. Discipline is in relationship to the local church. Uh, today, God expresses himself most visibly in and through his people, the church, especially pronounced is the local church. Uh, Robert Gramacki says, In the apostolic era, there were no believers who functioned outside the organization of local churches. Isn't that interesting? In the New Testament, we don't say, well, boy, he's got all these uh, believers out here, just kind of islands within themselves doing their own thing. No, that's not the emphasis. I think it was did happen. Uh, Hebrews, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Uh, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. But in terms of functionally serving God, we really see it happening uh, together. Uh, there's a togetherness, not, not in isolation. Sometimes people have this idea like, well, I'm just going to go off and serve the Lord. I don't care about the local church. Well, there's a problem with that. It, it just doesn't have any backing as far as what we find in the New Testament. The church is the household of God, emphasizing that this is where God dwells. This is why it is most serious to in any way harm the household of God. You know, Paul makes a very glaring warning here in 1 Corinthians three seventeen. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. <laughs> Maybe we could meditate on that for just a moment. Uh, this, uh, you want to defile the temple, God's going to destroy you. For the temple of God is holy. There's the point. Which temple you are. By the way, how, how do you uh, defile the temple of God in the context of 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3? Just FYI. What's he talking about there in the context of those chapters? What's his concern? Well, his concern is the wisdom of men versus the word of God. And I think the way you defile the temple and the warning is you don't bring in outside wisdom, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man, and, and defile the church with that. Strong, strong warning there. Okay, um, very good. The, so that you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, in the household of God, and then he goes on to further describe it, which is the church of the living God. Uh, the word church, ecclesia, it literally means called out ones or called out assembly. Uh, you know, this word ecclesia could be used in a secular context. Like they, they might have a, a called out assembly, if the, the town hall might have a meeting. You might call that a called out assembly. But this is the word the Holy Spirit chose to apply to the church. We are called out of the world. We now belong to Jesus Christ. And we are called out assembly. Uh, even the word church uh, emphasizes the idea that we are to be assembled. It's a called out assembly. I mean, even, even that very word brings this, brings this out. Uh, called out once, uh, which is the church of the living God. Um, I love this phrase, the uh, living God. It's one of my favorite titles for God. Uh, living things move. And God moves in particular in relationship to his people, the church. There's a close connection here uh, between the church and the living God who's living now inside of his people, as we are the household of God. Really, that's the, that's the big idea that's coming out in this whole text here. Uh, we have God living in us. So we, you know, God is present with us in a very unique way, in a very special way. And he's the living God. Who lives and moves in our midst. Uh, Christ is said to be walking in the midst of the churches in Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2. Uh, he, he is right in our midst, and of course, uh, we are his temple. As God's people, we are the assembly of the living God. In the Bible, the emphasis uh, on the living God is often emphasized in relationship to God's people gathered as a community, It is consistently in the context of his people that God moves and shows himself to be the living God. Uh, I think that's a a really important point. I mean, how does God demonstrate that he is the living God in the midst of his people? Uh, There's lots of ways we could mention. But how how does God uh, put himself on display as the living God in our midst? Answered prayer would be a big one. When we get together, we pray and we see God move. He's the living God and we know about prayer. We know how God works as we pray. What else? Change lives, Change lives. boy, that's true. Uh, Albert, oh, I thought you had your hand up. Love for, love for the brethren. Where does that come from? The living God, living His life out through us as, as the body of Christ. By this, all men will know that we are His disciples, right? By our love for one another. Yeah. So all kinds of things we could mention here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, of the Holy Spirit, we're gifted, and we share those gifts as we come together to build one another up in our faith. Yep, that's a good one. Anything else? Yes? About creation. Do we have to this I well, that's true, and that would be from nature itself, right? I'm thinking relationship to the body now in particular here in this context. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I could understand how a man could look down at the ground and say there is no God, but I can understand how he could look into the heavens and say there is no God, right? Absolutely. Even nature itself, for sure. Yeah, all, th- all kinds of things that we, we could mention. Uh, you know how God guides us, how he cares for us, how he shepherds us, uh, how he works in our lives, how he loves through us, and, and on and on. Okay, uh, which is the church of the living God? This is who we are, the called-out assembly of the living God, the household of God. And then he says that we we have a very special mission. What are we as the church? Well, we are the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, they knew about uh, temples in the Roman Empire. Uh, They had lots of these temples to these false gods. And they a lot of times had pillars that supported the whole thing. Uh, The pillar is the idea of that which supports, that which upholds. And we are to be the support, uh, that which is upholding the truth. And then it says the ground is the idea of the foundation or the platform. God has deposited his truth in us as his people. We are upholding the truth. Uh, We are the platform for the truth. That's what we are as as the church. And uh, note uh, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is what we are all about. We we really, as a church, are the truth center that God has ordained. I mean, he hasn't given it to, uh, you know, the universities. I don't know if you notice this, but there's not a lot of truth going out there. Uh, And sadly, when the church fails on the truth, the church fails. I mean, we could define our mission. You know, we talked about the Great Commission a couple weeks ago. But uh, our mission really is truth-oriented. We are the pillar and the ground of the truth. God has entrusted to the church the very stewardship of his truth. Our great calling is to uphold and promote and defend the truth. Someone as well said the church is God's truth center. That's what we are. We're truth center. Uh, we are the hub where God has deposited his truth in this age. Um, you know, we look generally in the Old Testament, it was Israel. I mean, the, the, God gave the prophets to Israel, and through the prophets came the Old Testament scriptures. But And now he's given us the apostles who gave us New Testament truth. But going forward now, who's got the truth? Who has it been deposited with? Well, it's been deposited to us as, as God's people. And this is important. Uh, you know, where does parachurch come in? I'm looking for a verse now. I'm just, you know, I'm just looking for a verse. I, again, I'm not totally anti-parachurch, but I do think we want to stick with the emphasis of Scripture uh, the role of advancing the gospel is divinely given to the Church, not at least in the same way to any other body. Parachurch organizations have value, and I think they do uh, in so far as they support the mission of the Church, but they must support and not supplant the church it 's a good statement. Uh, Tozer was even stronger. the highest expression of the will of God in this age is the Church, which he purchased with his own blood. To be scripturally valid, any religious activity must be part of the church. I think that's a good point. If there's no connection to the church, yeah, you have a hard time defending it. If it's not promoting, if it's not helping the church, if it's not an arm of the church, if you will. And so he makes a great point, I think. Uh, by the way, one of my this was, I think, the second earnestly contending letter I um, wrote, and I got in some trouble over this, where people had problems with me quoting Tozer this strongly. He said, what are you talking about? Uh, as emphasis is mine, let, let it be clearly stated that there can be no service acceptable to God in this age that does not center in and spring out of the church. A.W. Tozer, I, I think it'll uh, handle the scrutiny of Scripture. Uh, if you think it doesn't, I'm interested in what text you might use, but uh, really strong there. Uh, when he says the pillar and ground of the truth, this is in relationship to what? The church of the living God. Uh, that's, uh, that's who the pillar and ground of the, the, the truth is. It's the church of the living God. Uh, you know, I often think about this in relationship to the book of Revelation because the book of the Revelation uh, largely deals with what? The tribulation period, right? Chapter 6 through 18. Uh, do I believe we're going to go through that tribulation period? Now, if you get the wrong theology, you, <laughs> you might think so. But I don't think so. Uh, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain deliverance. First Thessalonians 5, 9. Um, but uh, the revelation is given to the church. I mean, Christ plainly states that, uh, both on the front end and the back end of the book of Revelation. Well, why give the church this about this tribulation period when we're not even going to go through it? Well, because it's our job to call the world to repentance and warn them of coming judgment. Just as it was in the days of Noah, uh, we are warning the people, this is coming. I mean, we, we have a, you know, a horn here you know, where we are warning people, uh, calling them to repentance. Now is the accepted time. So, so there's a reason uh, that God has for that. Uh, a few other slides here. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, in, in your study of this passage, was there any
1: conversation or talking of the difference between the pillar and a pillar? Some, some, I'm using ESV and I see that it is referencing it as a pillar and of the truth, not the pillar. So I'm just going to know if there was any point of conversation in your studies.
0: Not in my study. I mean, I think the the general point is that we are the support, the support of the truth. Uh, Whether it's a pillar or the pillar, you know, sometimes it's interchangeable, you know, depending on what we're talking about. So, yeah, I I didn't really pick up on any nuance there. But, yeah, good question. Okay. um, What will the local church give account for on the Day of Judgment? Well, a huge thing is going to be how did we uphold the truth entrusted into our care? We often talk about the elders' responsibility to preach the word and to rightly divide the word, and well, we should. But in view here is a responsibility given to the entire church. How well do we as a local church uphold the truth? This is the great issue in the eyes of God. This is our mission. This is what the church is called to do. Uh, We, as the the church of the living God, the entire church has this function, this role, this responsibility. Okay. Okay. see here. In context, this upholding the truth has a lot to do with how we conduct ourselves as a local church. That's the context. Even the very way we carry on tells what we think of God's truth. Do we take the roles of men and women seriously? You know, um, in this context, he's emphasizing truth, and what has he just brought out in the first three chapters? Well, this is a big thing, I think, to God. And people don't take this seriously. It's to me like they don't take God's truth very seriously. Do we take the role of elders and deacons seriously? Uh, These things are a commentary on whether we are properly functioning as the pillar and ground of the truth that we are called to be. Uh, So, yeah, (laughs) this uh, emphasis has a context related to the first three chapters. He says, these things I'm writing. And uh, so it relates to the truth that is being established there. Okay, um, the truth is divine revelation given to the church by God through the apostles and prophets in addition to the revelation of the Old Testament scriptures. The truth is the content of the Christian faith in which the gospel of Jesus Christ is central. So uh, this, this is what we are to uh, hold to, to defend, to propagate. It's all about the truth. Okay, um, all right, anything else? Yes. Yeah, um, we obviously are going to stand for life, and uh, you know we're, we're, we're. But you know, we and we used to do the life chain years ago. But you know what happened? We're in line with all these other ecumenical groups teaching another gospel. We don't agree with them in any way, shape, or form. So, um, so we don't do that anymore because. We, well, maybe we, not just that. Yeah. It's a good question, and I wouldn't wouldn't say all those things are bad. I think there's a place where we want to help people as you have opportunity to do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. You know, we have have that principle, Galatians 6.10. So um, there is that. But what I see in terms of the New Testament related to the truth here, the issue is the truth. Uh, How do we get out the truth? I don't see Paul developing a whole bunch of social programs to do it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so the emphasis I see in the mission, everywhere Paul goes, he didn't come into town and say, well, bring the bread, bring the bread uh, train here. (laughs) You know, he wasn't doing that. He was preaching the gospel. So so I want that to be the primary emphasis, just like I see that being the primary emphasis in the scriptures. Now, does it mean we don't ever say, well, hey, I want to take my neighbor uh, a meal. Fine, if the Lord leads you to do that, great. God can use that. Um, I'm just not so sure when, when we channel all of our energies into all this social stuff. So it's like something's got to give here. I think sometimes uh, uh, the main thing is the gospel. And if people are not interested in the gospel, you know, what do we do? Uh, well, we, we move on to hopefully somebody who is interested in the gospel. And yet we love people as we go along. You know, we don't... I don't know if there's a definitive, formulative answer to, to that question specifically, other than I think the emphasis is the gospel, the truth itself, in terms of our mission as a church. So, yeah, there's all these good causes. Uh, I always say good causes, and, and everybody's got this good cause, and they want everybody to get on board, and get on board over here. And a lot of times what happens is they, they're not really doing the main thing. And, yeah. So it, it takes away resources from the ch- church in, in terms of the main thing sometimes, but... Yeah, I don't know. Did I answer your question or did I skirt it? (laughs) Yeah, right. No, I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to throw those other things out completely. I'm just wanting to keep the focus where the New Testament focus is especially emphasized. Even then, when he says, do good unto all men, uh, especially the household of faith. Even then, the priority is the household of faith. Uh, You know, so anyway. Okay, yes, Wayne and now come to Vince okay. just the that to not,
1: awesome.
0: now, that's a great point mm-hmm. amen to that yep yeah Vince Well, well, amen. Yeah, that's right. And 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 if if the pillar is not strong, I mean, the truth is not going to be upheld. It's not going to be upheld, right? Yeah, amen. That's good, Vince. Amen. All right. Anyone else? Oh. It's true, but there is a lot of warning about apostasy in the New Testament. It is true. The word of our God shall stand forever. Whether you, I guess the issue is, are you going to stand with it or not? But the, the truth isn't going anywhere. That, that's, that's true. Yes?
1: Unless we stand, the truth won't get
0: brought. Well, that's true. Uh, not, not properly. We, it won't get out. That's true. Uh, you know, I was reading about today, there's this uh, college, a Christian college. I think it's in New York somewhere, where they have decided now they're, they're going to do away with their moral standards completely. Going to allow the LGBTQ crowd to be on staff, uh, to you know, that we just set everything aside in terms of biblical morality. Uh, let me ask you: Are they standing for the truth? Well, yeah. Why even call yourself Christian? Yeah, but you know, there's so many going that direction anymore. It's crazy. But anyway, yeah. Okay, um, let's uh, have somebody read verse sixteen for us. Who wants to read that? Yes. Right. So, hope, just be more active in supporting. You. Well, I am into that. That's true. Um, you know, uh, in the last days perilous times will come. I think we see this. And uh, yeah, but we can encourage ourselves in a sovereign God who is building his church. He said, I will build my church. And so yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's all kinds of churches that are going down that same road. I mean, i am just reading about that one. But uh, just the church in general, uh, it's, it's amazing the compromise, even in what is called evangelical anymore, as far as the moral standards. They're not really being upheld. Uh, the pillars are not really standing anymore. They're coming down. All right, uh, let's have somebody read verse 16. Who wants to read that? Yes, Levita. Okay, what a great verse. Uh, Some think this was an early hymn, part of an early hymn in in the early church. Perhaps so, we don't really know, but just the structure of it uh, would lead to that idea possibly. Uh, Without controversy is the idea of uh, that which is of common consent or or common agreement. Uh, There is unified uh, confession here for the believers. Without controversy. We as Christians are all in agreement here. Uh, great is the mystery of godliness. Mystery is that which is previously hidden. It was a divine secret. It would not be known unless uh, God had revealed it. But now he has revealed it. Uh, and, and this mystery, that which was previously a divine secret, is great. It's a, it's a great truth. Uh, great is the, is the mystery of godliness. Now, uh, the idea here is he's uh, in context, I believe, building... Is what is this secret? What is the secret to godliness that's been revealed? Well, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. He now goes on to describe uh, Jesus Christ. He gives uh, six things to describe Jesus Christ. But let's talk about godliness for for just a moment. Um, Yeah. The word godliness is prominent in the pastoral epistles. It refers to the life of God on display. Godliness is the idea of God-likeness. It emphasizes godly conduct. Godliness refers to piety, the life of God lived out in the church. So that's what we're talking about here in terms of great is a mystery of godliness. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, mystery for just a moment here, found in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the epitome of godliness. Uh, The ultimate expression of godliness in this world was the incarnation of Jesus. That was a great mystery made known, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And as such, he put godliness on display. But the mystery goes further. Now Christ lives in us. We are the body of Christ, the household of God, the church of the living God, who have God living in us. That is the ultimate secret of anyone's godliness. It's all about God living in and through us. Christ is central to the reality of all godliness. And that's why he goes on to describe it here. But I think you have this this idea in the context here. Uh, What is godliness? Well, it's God living his life out through a human body. And uh, when we talk about a person being godly, that's the idea. Yes. Amen. I'm right now working on an earthly contending letter on that very thing. And what's really spurred it, I'll be very honest with you, is I have relatives who are very conservative as far as everything I knew growing up. Who are now, uh, you know, embracing uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, Very strong Mennonites. I mean, that's my whole background. It just shocked me and my brother to learn this. Uh, I mean, the parents would be rolling over in their grave if there was such a thing possible. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever form of immorality you want to talk about, it's all really lumped together in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 there. Um, but I do think Paul, you know, in Romans 1 talks about that, which is not even according to nature. And so, you know, I, I, anyway, we get into that whole topic. But, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, The mystery is great. It's mega. It's a mega secret that no one saw coming. Uh, It involves two things: the revelation of godliness revealed in the person of Christ, who perfectly put God on display by virtue of being God. Uh, I mean, who who would think that God would come to earth as one of us and live out perfect God likeness? Because in fact, He is God on display. Uh, It's an amazing, great is the mystery. But then the continuation of the story is that he went back to heaven. He now lives in the church, which is his body. He is now on display in the church. This accounts for his intimate presence in the world today. How does the book of Acts begin? It's a history of the first 30 years of the church, early church. How does the book of Acts begin? You remember? It's a, it's a record of everything Jesus began both to do and teach. Acts is a continuation of the story. What is that story? It's the story of the risen Christ who has gone back to heaven and is now working through his people. It's an amazing reality. Okay, um, I'm going to have to truck here. Uh, then the church becomes the continuation. This is unknown author. Uh, Church becomes a continuation of Christ as the manifestation of God in the flesh. This is the great mystery of godliness. Christ lived out in the church as the manifestation of God in the flesh. Uh, boy, that that is a tremendous secret. The world doesn't know anything about that. They don't believe in our God to start with, let alone that he's living his life out through us as, as the church. Okay, um, I guess I got two more here. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians chapter 1 To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is it? Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you! The hope of glory. I mean, this is, the, this is the secret to what we're all about as God's people. We have the Living God living in us. We are the Church of the Living God." Uh, church members affirm Grimacki, Church members affirm, "Great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery centers in Christ and His relationship to His people." That's the whole context of what we're studying here in First Timothy. And then he says, uh, God was manifest in the flesh. We have six things now about Christ in relationship to his incarnation. And uh, this is really what Christianity builds on. These truths related to Jesus Christ, uh, we build on these. And very quickly here, he was manifest in the flesh. Uh, Jesus was God revealed in the flesh, what we call the incarnation. And he was justified in the spirit, declared, declared righteous. You know what the world thought of Jesus, by and large, right? The world's verdict of Christ was that he was guilty, and therefore he was numbered with the transgressors. They saw him as a liar, false teacher. But all through his ministry, the life he lived, the miracles he performed, the prophecies, it all culminated in the resurrection. All served to vindicate him by the Spirit. The great and climactic vindication of all Christ's claims was the resurrection. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, I know a preacher who's going to preach on that soon, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Okay, and then uh, seen by angels. Uh, Seen by angels. You know, even the angels were learning, and they desired to look into this great salvation, this wisdom plan that God has uh, for for humans, as it says in 1 Peter 1.12. I mean, the angels were there to announce His birth. They were there... Uh, when Christ was being tempted. They were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were there to announce the resurrection. These angels, they had a front row seat in terms of of seeing what what God was doing in in an amazing way as this mystery was uh, being uh, unfolded. Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To who? To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You know, what God is doing in the church really speaks of His, his wisdom. And it's being made known uh, by the church to these heavenly beings. You know, we, we don't often think about that. But you know, the Bible in 1 Corinthians says that we should behave properly because the angels are among us. And uh, so forth. Seen by angels. Preached among the Gentiles. Hey, you know any Gentiles that's been preached to? I mean, just, amen. yeah, amen. That's us. That's us. Believed on in the world. You know, wherever the gospel has gone, there's always a remnant. It's mostly unbelievers, usually. <laughs> Rarely do you have a whole majority turn. Sometimes, maybe. But most of the time, it's just a, just a remnant. And, uh, but believed on in the world, and then received up in glory. Uh, one slide on this here. Received up in glory. Notice it does not say received up into glory, but rather received in glory. Shekinah, meaning to dwell, glory may be in view, referring to God's glorious presence. Uh, the emphasis seems to be on the circumstances of honor and majesty involved in the ascension of Christ on his return to heaven. Two more slides. Uh, Christ is the true essence and basis of all godliness, as seen in his earthly ministry and vindication of his claims. The great issue of the truth as revealed by God, always centers in the person and work of Christ. He himself is the great catalyst of the faith. And he puts himself the truth on display before a watching world, primarily in and through his church. This is our great calling, to reflect him to the world. And then uh, Stephen Cole says this, Why is the church important? Well, because God has left it here to reveal his son to the world. Even as Jesus revealed God when he was on this earth. It's a pretty big assignment, huh? I mean, we're here to reveal God to the world. I hope when the world sees us, they see God. You know, Paul says, whether by life or by death, that Christ would be magnified in my body. It's a great prayer, by the way. Uh, As the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, we are the current expression of Jesus Christ in the world until he comes. We are the current expression of Jesus Christ in the world. I mean, this is our great calling. Uh, what a staggering job description. Nothing could be of greater importance. God intends this for his church, locally expressed. We need to make it happen right here so that people will say, I have seen the living God dwelling among his people. Well, that's a great statement. Amen to that. May God be on display in and through us in such a way. You know, that Paul talks about when they come in, uh, they'll fall on their face and say, truly God is among you. Uh, may that be true among us. Okay, any other thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah. Well, amen. Amen. That, that fits well in terms of the overall emphasis here. Amen. All right. Anyone else? And there's all kinds of opportunities. You know, I was out for a bike ride. What was it? I think it was Monday night. I was out for a bike ride. Either that or last night. And uh, this guy says to me, he's this old guy out on the bike trail. You know, I got a bike trail just a block from my house now. so it's. Some call it the Hobo, Hobo Highway now, you know, but anyway. But this old guy, he's walking down there, and, and, uh, and so I said, hi. And he says, what time is it? I says, it's time to get saved. <laughs> he said, I went to church Sunday. Sorry, church is not the Savior. You need Jesus. So I asked him where he's going. He said, he didn't know. He really didn't know. So I, I shared the gospel with him for a little while there, but Anyway. Uh, We have all kinds of opportunities to share the truth all around us, all the time. All right, anything else? Okay, let's go ahead and share some prayer requests. Anybody need a prayer sheet?